1: Myanmar's junta jams the internet. Operation Night Scout looks like a highly targeted cyber espionage campaign delivered through a compromised supply chain. Sonic Wall Zero Day is being actively exploited in the wild. Strange You and Random You are filling a niche in the criminal-to-criminal market. Ben Yellen ponders whether the SolarWinds attack can be considered an act of war. Our guest Jamie Brown from Tenable on the national cyber director position and what it means for the Biden administration – Another data breach is associated with the Cellian FTA, and it's Groundhog Day, campers! From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, February 2nd, 2021. The internet has gone down throughout much of Myanmar, CyberScoop reports. The reasons for the outage are unclear, but the overwhelming likelihood is that the outage is a deliberate takedown by the junta military leaders installed in a coup d'etat over the weekend. Internet usage dropped by a good 75% Sunday, according to observations tweeted by NetBlocks, an NGO that operates an internet observatory. NetBlocks says, quote, the pattern of disruption indicates centrally issued telecoms blackout order, end quote. Internet jamming has become a familiar feature of the contemporary style of coup d'etat. It's what seizing the newspapers would have been in 1850, what taking over the radio station would have been in the 1930s. ESET researchers have outlined a recently discovered software supply chain attack that's inflicting surveillance malware on online gamers who use Knox Player, an Android emulator used mostly to play mobile games on PCs? The security firm says that several distinct malware strains are being delivered to users in the form of maliciously crafted software updates. Two of the strains in use are familiar Ghost Rat, which is a keylogger and collector of other sensitive information, and Poison Ivy Rat, which appeared as a secondary infection. The producer of Knox Player, Hong Kong headquartered Big Knox, told ESET that it hadn't been compromised itself and didn't avail themselves of the help the boys and girls from Bratislava offered. The campaign shows no signs of monetization, which leads ESET to conclude that some form of espionage is the point of the effort. They're calling the campaign Operation Night Scout. It seems to be a highly targeted campaign. ESET's telemetry told them that about 100,000 of their users had Player installed, But of that group, only five were pushed a malicious update. The victims were in Hong Kong, Taiwan, and Sri Lanka. What the operators behind Night Scout are after is mysterious. ESET said it was unable to find any correlations among the victims. NCC Group reports finding evidence that the recently discovered Sonic Wall Zero Day is now being actively exploited in the wild. They advise users to pay close attention to their logs. NCC group is reluctant to share detailed indicators and warnings but they suggest keeping an eye out for source IPs hitting management interfaces you would not expect. SonicWall says it expects to have a patch available today. Microsoft has been tracking the emails sent by the criminal infrastructure represented by strange u and random u which Redmond says is robust enough to seem legitimate to many mail providers while flexible enough to allow the dynamic generation of new domain names and remain evasive. It's sending out about a million malware-carrying emails a month. The infrastructure seems to be filling the criminal-to-criminal market gap that the NECORS botnet takedown temporarily opened. Microsoft says this proves that attackers are highly motivated to quickly adapt to temporary interruptions to their operations. The infrastructure as a service initially was seen delivering commodity malware but since September it's risen in the criminal status system having been adopted in September by both the Drydex and Trickbot operators. The cyber espionage campaign associated with the software supply chain for Solarwinds Orion platform remains under investigation with postmortems turning to fixes and might have bins. A security boulevard piece sketches an outline of third-party security programs. FCW reports that prospective Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas promised to review upgrades of the department's Einstein system. And ProPublica wonders why the U.S. government shelved the in-toto system it paid for. Vulnerabilities in Excellion software, exploited earlier against data belonging to New Zealand's central bank, and the Australian Securities and Investments Commission has now hit the state auditor of the state of Washington, compromising the personal information of more than a million and a half people who'd contacted the state about unemployment assistance. The state auditor is notifying victims and offering the usual sorts of help, like credit monitoring. Excellion says the vulnerabilities lie in an old legacy version of its product, Excellion FTA, that's now approaching end of life. The vendor says all known issues have now been patched and mitigation is underway. The incident has attracted a lot of attention from the security industry. And finally, hey, 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 happy Groundhog Day. The word from our Pennsylvania desk is that Puxitani Phil, in a socially distanced virtual ceremony from Gobbler's Knob, indeed saw his shadow, it spooked him, and so we've got six more weeks of winter. So hold off on spring until St. Patrick's Day or thereabout, campers. It's cold out there. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. The recently passed National Defense Authorization Act includes the creation of the position of National Cyber Director... Joining me to discuss that role is Jamie Brown, Senior Director of Global Government Affairs at Tenable and Chair of the IT Sector's Coordinating Council.
0: Historically, uh, in in previous administrations, particularly in in George Bush and Barack Obama's administration, uh, there was a cyber director or, you know, commonly referred to as a cyber czar that was advising the president and had a central spot at the White House it was not a, uh, it was not at that time a Senate confirmed position, but the role there was to coordinate cybersecurity activities across the federal government. The, that position was maintained in the early part of the Trump administration, but then you know, was, uh, you know, they ended up ending the, the, the position when they switched national security advisors uh, about midway through the uh, the administration. Congress had set up in the meantime, uh, a commission to study what are the best approaches to addressing these long-term really comprehensive challenges of cybersecurity. And one of the key recommendations they made was we really do need to not only reinstall that position of the National Cybersecurity Director, but make it a a permanent Senate confirmed position. Uh, You know, one that has statutory authority, uh, one that has to be approved by, by the Senate and The thinking being that cybersecurity was such a cross-cutting challenge. It hit so many different agencies, different industry sectors, that you really needed someone in a centralized location, a single point of contact in order to coordinate the federal government's response uh, to cybersecurity incidents, but also in, in terms of proactive strategy and planning for cybersecurity as well.
1: I've seen some reporting that um, President Biden is um, likely to appoint Jen Easterly to this position right. is that is that still where where things are tracking, and what's your take on her
0: that that is what we have heard as well. Um, you know have not heard or have not seen sort of official confirmation or, or have not yet. I don't think uh, President Biden has officially appointed uh, Jen Easterly, but uh, we think that she would be an outstanding choice and you know, she has excellent experience both in uh, the public and private sector, uh, which again is, is extremely important, uh, given the inter, uh, interdependencies about the private sector and, and government when it comes to to addressing cybersecurity challenges. So her experience uh, is something that will, will bring you know I think tremendous gravitas to that role and a lot of credibility in working both with government and private sector stakeholders. I think this this Solar Winds compromise has opened our eyes to a lot of important. Uh, activities that have to take place and and one of the key areas that we hope that the national cyber director will focus on uh, to be better prepared for future type attacks is pushing through a risk-based vulnerability management approach throughout the government and then prioritizing the way that you go about remediating the gaps or the vulnerabilities that you have based on real-time contextual factors Uh, you know what is the severity of, of a given uh, vulnerability that you have in your systems. How important is it with respect to where it is you know, located within your systems? And then, you know, also is that type of uh, vulnerability currently being attacked by bad actors? You know, all of these things are going to be extremely important moving forward, both to to mitigate you know, against you know, current attacks, but also to be prepared for future ones. And that'll be a key role of the cyber directors.
1: That's Jamie Brown. He's Senior Director of Global Government Affairs at Tenable. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Also my co-host over on the Caveat Podcast. Hey, Ben, good to have you back. Hello, Dave. How are you? I am doing well, thanks. Uh, interesting article. This is from the Lawfare blog. Uh, the title is, Is the Winds Cyber Attack an Act of War? It is if the United States says it is. Now, this caught my eye because it—it it, it seems to me like the overall consensus has been that uh, the solar winds situation was not an act of war—that it's espionage, but not an act of war. But uh, this article takes uh, perhaps or ex- explores a contrarian view here.
2: Yeah, this article is fascinating for a number of reasons. First of all, that is a, a contrarian view as to the attack itself. This article gets into questions of whether we should make these decisions based on domestic laws or based on international law. So the previous uh, administration kind of ignored international law. They were an America first administration. What this Hmm. article is suggesting is that we could have proper justification under international law to declare this an act of war. So Hmm. chapter 51 of the United Nations Charter recognizes the inherent right to self-defense, in response to an act of war, the Latin term is casus belli. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, uh, <laughs> but basically, if if you are attacked in a surprise attack, international law justifies a response that is self-defense in its purest form. At least, that's you know the thinking behind that section of the Charter, and that allows a country. Or state, if we're or speaking more broadly, uh, to exercise self-defense to make sure that nobody else gets hurt, to make sure right. uh, you know to to limit harm against our domestic tranquility, yeah. uh, and that's what this article is encouraging that um, we should consider this an act of war under international law. Akin perhaps to something like Pearl Harbor, where there was a surprise attack on our physical infrastructure. Um, I don't think anybody would dispute that that was an act of war. If, you know, solar wind as a cyber attack was as extensive as is reported, certainly the impact on our critical infrastructure could be potentially just as severe. Um, Mm. So it's just a, a, a really interesting article. I think using international law in some quarters is pretty disfavored in this country, just because, you know, there's kind of a skepticism of why should we be listening to these you know, these international bodies that, you know, why should they carry the force of law? Who elected them? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think you'd put yourself on firmer ground on the world stage if you can justify your actions, and it seems like we're going to take actions in response to this attack, using a a portion of the UN charter. So I just thought it was a, a really interesting argument.
1: Yeah, I, I'm I'm curious, you know, what you think about the the, the idea that, Uh, If you come at this from the espionage point of view, um, and, you know, I always uh, try to, and often unsuccessfully try to put these into real world terms, but, you know, suppose the United States found that there were a whole bunch of spies who'd been placed in organizations around the world, you know, and these spies were going through filing cabinets to get uh, secrets from organizations, from federal uh, organizations, private organizations, you know that sort of thing. People doing spying, right? right espionage. Right. Would we, if with the discovery of that, would we consider that to be an act of war, or would we just say, "Ooh, espionage"?
2: I mean, I guess there's a different espionage isn't uh, to the same extent an act of war, uh, right? Nobody dies. That, yeah, right. It wouldn't meet that definition under the UN Charter. I think. Right. What I would say is that that's not necessarily the proper analog here because of the concrete damage that could have been done through the solar winds attack. So it's not mm-hmm. just spying. If you know, if you're destroying networks or you're stealing information, uh, you know, or you're threatening our, our critical infrastructure then that goes beyond espionage. So I don't think it would, you know, if right. it were just pure spying, I don't think under this definition that would be, you know, an act of, of warfare that would justify right. a precision-based response.
1: Um, what but if I, the spies were leaving pipe bombs in the filing cabinets behind, right? Exactly, like that. exactly. I mean, yeah. that's,
2: that, <laughs> that's the scenario that
1: I think we have to consider. And I think that's uh-huh. sort of
2: the perspective of the Biden administration. We don't know exactly what they're going to do, to respond to this attack, but early indications are that they see it as sort of, if not a quasi uh, act of aggression, an act of aggression, and that it will justify a uh, precision-based response. Um, right, worthy so, yeah. of some
1: response. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, an interesting article for sure. It's over on Lawfare. It's titled "Is the Solar Wind Cyber Attack an Act of War?" It is, if the United States says it is. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Bring out your best. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Datatribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Guru Prakash.